Welcome to the McKinsey on Finance podcast, where experts and practitioners from the firm's corporate finance practice talk about value-creating strategies and the translation of those strategies into company performance. I'm Roberta Fasaro, the editor of McKinsey on Finance, and joining me on the podcast today is Vigbert Bohm, a partner in our Munich office and an expert on zero-based budgeting. It's a topic that is piquing the curiosity of many managers these days. But what is it? What benefits does it offer? And how hard is it to do? We're about to find out. Vigbert, thanks for dialing in. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. There seem to be a lot of different perceptions of what zero-based budgeting is, the kinds of processes it entails, and how frequently it's used, and so forth. What is zero-based budgeting? For me, zero-based budgeting means budgeting from zero, um, so essentially turning around the burden of proof for the person in an organization that actually wants to consume uh, resources uh, to uh, fulfill her or his task. So what do I mean uh, by that? Typically, um, budgeting takes the previous year uh, budget, and then there is um, a negotiation. Let's say my previous um, budget is um, uh, five million, and then I'm just discussing the incremental change. Is it plus three percent, plus five percent, or minus two percent, uh, depending on the workload? But the underlying um, uh, question: What are the resources that I actually need to fulfill my task? Are not being um, uh, challenged at all. This is uh, where zero-based budgeting comes into play because it's essentially a, a method which actually is very old. It has been invented in the 60s or 70s, um, and um, this actually helps you to do this on a, a structural uh, basis to really um, challenge everyone who is actually um, a budget owner and consumes the resources of an organization to really challenge them on what they really need the resources for, which gets you into complete different uh, discussions on what they need, where the spend is, and how to also potentially rationalize it. Vigbert, you, you mentioned that this is zero-based budgeting is not a, a, a new concept necessarily. Why is it making a comeback now? What prevented it from going into widespread use back in the 60s and 70s? Uh, a problem with the method is that if you want to challenge the resourcing, you actually need to understand it and on a very granular level, which means for large organizations, it's um, a lot um, uh, of data. Um, and doing a zero-based budgeting on a piece of paper or maybe even in Excel is just, for large organizations, really unthinkable. There is a re-emergence um, of um, zero-based budgeting because of the upcoming of digital budgeting tools who allow to actually leverage large amounts of data in a meaningful way to actually have these uh, discussions that weren't possible before. So we have new tools that sort of enable the process. How exactly does the budgeting process work? How, how, do you, how does one go about implementing zero-based budgeting? So typically you start with um, creating uh, transparency on a very granular level. Sometimes corporations don't even know what their total, for example, travel spend is or legal spend or something like that. And what you typically also find is that uh, 15 or 20% of the spend is misclassified. So for example, you think that your IT spend is central and you actually think that you know everything that you spend also in the field, in the regions, in uh, countries or in divisions. And with zero-based budgeting, you typically find out that you haven't fully captured 
um, the spend. This is typically um, the, the first uh, entry point into rethinking uh, your spend. This is a great place to start uh, figuring out uh, potential improvements or savings. And post-cadry owners can think of what is actually a reasonable aspiration for their cost category. What is actually the spend that we want to have in marketing, uh, for example, or um, what is the spend that we actually want to have in risk or any of these um, functions. Based on that, you can actually drive specific initiatives to reduce the spend or bring it to a reasonable level. And based on that, you actually go to the third phase, budgeting from zero, where the cost category owners would go and negotiate with uh, the budget owners their budget for their respective cost categories, where they actually armed with all the information and the potential initiatives that have been identified earlier in the process. What is happening then in these negotiations, you would arrive at a new budget. And the final phase is essentially the savings capture, the potential reinvestments, and making sure that the whole thing is institutionalized across the company. Interesting. So, Wigbert, can you share an example or two of how the process actually plays out and how it works in companies? Yes. One uh, recent example is an application of zero-based budgeting at a large uh, European uh, power utility where we had a uh, baseline spend of roughly $900 million in scope, which included people cost and non-people cost. And after actually going through that process, potential improvements of like 115 have been implemented and realized, of which part of the savings would be reinvested into the business and another part of the savings would actually go to the shareholders. That was a process that uh, took roughly eight months, starting from the data transparency phase that we talked about, uh, going through the full cycle, with budgeting from zero, savings capture, and all the initiatives finalized. In the case of smaller companies, for example, private equity-owned portfolio companies, we would do a six to eight week diagnostic where we would on the tip we would, where we would actually show the potentials and develop implementation levers which would then be implemented by the respective uh, companies without going through the full cycle also implementing the digital budgeting tool and thereby allowing a much lighter approach at the same time also still capturing a significant part of the potential that's interesting so you mentioned the application of zero-based budgeting in both large companies and small companies and, and the different time frames that were associated with those examples, is it a one-time type of process? Do you do it every year? How hard, how easy is it to do that? You know, can you do it for every division, for every line item? So if you implement the full cycle, then uh, this becomes a part of every year's budgeting process. And the process actually becomes much more doable when you actually use um, digital budgeting tools and also build new capabilities to actually sustain it over time. And then if you also do it the second or third time, it isn't actually more um, effort than uh, traditional budgeting processes because you are actually leveraging the support of digital um, budgeting tools and thereby it also becomes sustainable and doable on a yearly basis. The digital budgeting tool is used to physically construct the budget, but it's also used as a tracking tool by cost category owners to follow up and to address any deviations from the plan. It includes a highly automated system of reporting, and every cost category owner and maybe also senior management would get a very automated report every month where the deviations in the cost categories or the specific cost category are actually visible on a cost center level which allows them to actually 
do a call in a case of deviation and make sure that countermeasures are actually implemented. And what we also see is that repeating the process brings you additional savings uh, potential, so it's not just like sustaining the results, but also increasing the savings in subsequent years. It seems as though the cost category owner is kind of the linchpin, right, to ensuring that that conversations are had and that the data are assessed out. If you were applying this approach across a whole company, how many cost category owners do you need and, and how do you organize around cost category ownership? We typically see 15 to 20 cost category owners when implementing zero-waste budgeting in an organization and the role or the task of a cost category owner is to look after a certain cost category in a business unit, in a geography, or the entire corporation. And this might be, for example, the cost category owner for the marketing and sales cost that would be responsible for all these cost items across the organization or facility management, which could include cost items like rent, canteen spend, security spend, and things like that. The task of the cost category owner would be to actually have the budgeting discussion with everyone in the company that has this type of spending in their budget because the cost credit owner is having all the discussions. He actually knows the best existing best practices in a corporation. So, for example, we found that in the context of facility management, there was actually a wide difference with regards to the spend they had with security in the manufacturing plants. So the concept of how they actually were being guarded, like how many gates would be open, how much time, how much automation is being used were quite uh, different, regardless of uh, that the, the manufacturing sites were quite similar in similar countries or comparable locations, similar technologies and so forth and so on. And because the cost carry owner was having the discussions with all the plant managers, he actually could connect the different plant managers that were actually overspending on these categories with other plant managers who had actually better ideas on how to do this and thereby actually helping them in like identifying better practices that are already existing in the company and basically spread them across the organization. Another example includes training spend. At one client, we found that there were production sites where the training spend per blue color employee was like five or eight X of the average training spend per blue color employee despite the same manufacturing technology used and despite similar training needs, by identifying the outliers, you could actually ask, ask them why is this the case and does it need to be the way and also offer them concrete examples of how others do it and thereby reduce the spend significantly. So is the job of cost category owner a full-time position permanently? Who is in those roles in, in a company? So typically what works best is to have managers that also have budget responsibilities that have been around in a company that are well respected to have that discussion because what we don't want to is to actually cut into the bone. It needs to be obviously a reasonable discussions on peer-to-peer -peer level so that you actually get into the discussions that you really want on like what is it that I actually truly need to actually fulfill my job or my task and not, hey, you need to cut 15 or 20 percent, which is not necessarily the outcome of all of these discussions. So taking a step back now and looking at the larger ZBB process, how do you ensure that you actually haven't cut costs too much in a way that perhaps damages the company's ability to grow? This is probably, this includes uh, two questions. One is, I mean, how do you ensure you have the right target? And the second question is, 
how do you think about supporting growth? For the first question, at the beginning of a ZBB exercise, you actually think through what could actually be a good aspiration for all other cost categories by, for example, leveraging external and internal benchmarks, by leveraging best practices that you observe within the company but also outside. And by doing this, you're actually deriving an aspiration um, for each of the cost categories. For the second question, integral part of our ZBB approach is to include reinvestment for growth, which is very important because what you very often see is that you actually get promised savings of 100, and then the responsible manager will tell you that he or she will reinvest 80 in the business, and then you may actually see 20 arriving in the bottom line. And what we are actually uh, tracking very thoroughly within the digital budgeting tool and within the ZBB effort is that we actually track the gross savings and also the reinvestment for growth. So what we mean is it's fine if you actually want to reinvest 80, but we would like to see the 100 as a gross saving, which we will track. And at the same time, we will also track the investment, uh, the reinvestment of the 80. And if the plans that you had actually promised to deliver for reinvesting the 80s, uh, the 80 become material. And by doing that, you actually are avoiding that you are actually ending up with the 20 and you actually get quite a good tracking on the reinvestment for growth and um, potential um, uh, implementation of these initiatives. A lot of people f focus on ZBB as a, as a means of cost cutting, but the, the flip side of that is also ensuring that money is being spent in a cost-conscious way, in a purposeful manner. I'm curious about how companies can incentivize employees to do this, to sort of treat the company as though it were their own and implement ZBB in, in a, with a philosophy of cost consciousness rather than cost reduction. We increasingly see companies applying ZBB in order to actually have a significant resource reallocation towards new um, technologies or new businesses, so reinvesting 100% of the funds that they would actually get from uh, ZBB, um, which wasn't the case a couple of years before. It's quite easy to excite or mobilize the employees or the management of an organization if you do that, because they can clearly see that it helps them to actually grow the business or become more future-proof compared to a situation where they would actually not uh, review the spend and not uh, reallocate the resources to the more um, uh, promising areas. Typically, what we see is that cost category owners are incentivized for their specific categories. That's part of it. But I think even more important is distributing the ownership for the cost categories broadly across the organization to also involve employees in working out potential savings idea and improvement ideas, and thereby changing and establishing an overall culture of cost consciousness. So I guess the most important question here the listeners of the McKinsey on Finance podcast is, how does this eventually roll up to the CFO? What exactly should the CFO be doing to play an active role in ZBB? Yes, an excellent question. Um, so in order to successfully implement ZBB, you need a strong mandate um, from the top to run the program and to support all the discussions that must happen. The budget owners will be in discussions with cost category owners, uh, which may not go smoothly and if the budget owner then calls the CFO and complains about the cost credit owner's proposal and 
the CFO doesn't support the process, the whole thing is over. The CFO needs to actually be role model and super supportive to the program. What we have also seen uh, in many instances is that the CFO is also taking over the role as a cost category owner for one or two cost categories. It's also very important that the whole leadership team is aligned, not only the CFO, but also the CEO, ideally also the other, uh, to actually make sure that this is a priority for the organization and that they are actually wanting this to be successfully implemented. This is great stuff, Big Bridge. I know that this is a topic that a lot of CFOs have a ton of questions about. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk about ZBB. Thank you, Wigbert, for joining us today. And I should remind our listeners that there's a full slate of articles on zero-based budgeting on McKinsey.com, as well as other materials we've published on cost and productivity analyses. Please do visit our website, and remember to subscribe to the McKinsey on Finance podcast. <music>